All right, if you have a Bible, go with me to the book of Acts. We're going to pan our way through the pages of Acts uh, today. And the series is called Dream Again. When um, my good brother Ernest uh, and I, our worship pastor, when we, we were working on this series like uh, three or four months ago, I was supposed to do this all in the book of Acts. And um, I got there like week one for a, a verse, and then week two, not so much. Week three, not so much. So today you're going to get like four sermons from the book of Acts all together, all God's people went, oh, okay, good. <laughs> It'll be a lot of fun, actually, because you're going you're gonna to get a, a snapshot of what the early church looked like, and I'm going to give you the flyover view of just how cool it is. And um, uh, in the series Dream Again, what we've talked about is what would your life be if you could just, if you could live out the dreams of your life, because we all have dreams, we all have great hopes we all have great aspirations, and we have them about ourselves, but we have them more even about the next generation as well. I want to talk with you about dreaming again about a, a, not only a better world, but I want to dream with you about what could be a reality, not just a dream, but a reality. You know that you are to love God and love people. That's the great commandment. And then you're to help people come to know Christ and help them grow in the Lord, get them baptized, and teach them to obey all things, Matthew 28, the words of Jesus. So we, around here we call that worship, connect, grow, serve, share. We, we, those are kind of the five pillars of our church. But I, here's what I want you to see in that dream, because we talked about this in week one. It, I, I want you to think about you're going to get older than you are today, because you're going to live to tomorrow, then the next day. And then eventually, you're going to go home to heaven, because you're a believer in Jesus. Okay? Are, and if you are a believer in Jesus, you're going to go home to heaven. But what I want you to visualize is this. The dream is there. And the dream is you walk in and the streets are gold and the gates are pearly just like they are in those songs that you sing and this, the scriptures that we read. And I'm thinking probably Peter is there and he's at the gate and he's saying, hey, welcome. Took you long enough to get here. Come on in. And so you get in. And, and as soon as you walk in the door, there's someone at the gate who says to you, I'm here because you told me about Jesus. That, okay, that's the dream I want you to have. And that dream can be a reality. And then someone else walks up and says, I'm here because you were instrumental in making sure that I got to a place. I didn't hear Jesus from you, but you helped get me to the place where I could hear about Jesus. You brought me to church, you brought me to a club or a small group or a camp or some concert, but you got me to a place where I could meet Jesus and I met Jesus and, and maybe you know those people, maybe you don't even know them. Maybe you were in passing, it was just a moment for you, but it was a significant moment, a life-altering, life-changing moment in their lives because you were the one who told them about Jesus. You shared the message of 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 Christ and his love for us. You modeled the life of Jesus. You maybe illustrated it through your life, and it may have been a co-worker. It may have been a cousin or an aunt or an uncle. It may have been a neighbor down the street. It, whoever it would be, it may be a car salesman. It may be, it, it could be someone on the bus or on the train. But you modeled and you lived out and they saw Jesus in you. And that's the dream I want you to leave with today. And I want you to know that dream isn't just a dream. It's not just wishful wishing. It, it could be a reality. 
Now, the reason I know that is because it was a reality for the first generation of Christians. Now, if you have a Bible and you're in the book of Acts, go to chapter one, and, and by this point too, you, when, when we have the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, right? Say them with me. The first, five book, first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? Now, those are four stories of Jesus coming from four different perspectives, okay? And those four stories then all come to one conclusion. He is Savior, he is Lord, he is coming King. Okay, that's the conclusion about Jesus. So you need to trust him. Why? Because he's on the winning side. <laughs> you want to be on the winning side, okay? So as soon as he goes back to heaven... Now, by Acts, now it's a new day, and Jesus is returning to heaven. He stayed behind for 40 days, and now he says, I'm going to leave, but when I leave, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit who will be your friend, your guide, your counselor into all truth, and he will empower you, chapter 1, verse 8, and you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I mean, let me put that in our language. You will be witnesses in Waldorf, the dwarf, White Plains, La Plata, Brandywine, Newburgh, right? Wherever that is, we're not really sure. Someone say Bill Alton for me. How do you say it? Blalton. I hear these words all the time. Yeah, yeah, Blalton. That's a new one to me. You have a, you have a fur ball in your throat? What's going on? I'm not really sure. All you have to do is be a witness, and you are a witness in Waldorf, or La Plata, or White Plains. And then, and then you're a witness in Judea. That's Charles County, Southern Maryland. It's uh, Calvert. It's St. It's Mary's County. It's our region. Get that? So you're, in, you're a witness to Jesus here locally. You're, here, you're a witness to people who are uh, a little further away regionally, but they're within reach, but they're regionally. And to Samaria, that would be around the United States, you're a witness to Jesus wherever you go, when you, you travel, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth. So Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos and China and, and Hong Kong and Australia and New Zealand, wherever it is that you go, you carry with you this witnessing, this story. Now, you don't have to be judged, you don't have to be jury, you don't have to tell something that you don't know. You're just a witness. A witness just tells what they see. They just tell what they All I know is, once I was blind, like the guy in the Bible, once I was blind, now I see. That's what I know. And I know that guy did it because he was in the room. I know his voice. I know voice as well because I was blind. I know people by their voice. I know by, people by their touch. You know, when you're a kid, you knew it too, but you don't want to admit it today, but you knew people even by their smell. Isn't that true? Yeah. You, you go up to ch uh, in church and there'd be a little old lady and you knew when she's coming in for the hug and you go, oh. <laughs> Hold your breath. And I had a grandma Huffman who's in heaven right now. She always smelled like lavender. It didn't matter. And she was a nurse so she could smell like penicillin if she wanted to. But she smelled like lavender and, she, and it was just, that was code. And she came in for the hug and the kiss. I was flowery for seven or eight minutes. <laughs> it was lavender but you knew that blind guy knew he knew that he knew that guy that guy changed my life that's all you have to say is this jesus changed my life now these people will enter a season of prayer they'll wait for the holy spirit to come because that's what jesus said would happen and then since that time since he's come the moment you trust christ now 
since then, every time when you trust Christ, the, the Holy Spirit moves inside of you. And, and so the day you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit moved inside, but they hadn't had this experience. So they wait, they pray, the Holy Spirit comes, and they began to speak in different languages because this was an international group that didn't really know each other. They were there for, for a festival, and there were Jews from all over the world, that known world at the time, and they didn't even understand each other. They were just motioning. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came and gave them a connection they didn't have before. And people said about them, these people are drunk because they just, they, they're speaking like nonsense. Have you ever learned a language, but you learned it on... Uh, on some kind of automated way like uh, Rosetta Stone or some other method, you ever done that? But it's real simple, hello, how are you? I like the color of a canary, you know, like that. Anybody learn it? And then when you get to that country, they're like, they're speaking and you go, they talk so fast. You ever had this happen? Like slow down like the albums, you know, like, yes, no, we're not gonna slow down, why? Because we didn't learn our Spanish or Portuguese from the albums, we learned it growing up. And then have you ever gone to another country and then they speak and you go, they speak so fast, but they sound so mad. Have you ever had that? Yes, and that's what they say about Americans too. They speak so fast. And, and um, I was on a mission trip with some of you and when we were in, in Africa, they said, Americans, they are spinners. That's what they called us because we're always out doing stuff because we, we're always trying to get something done. And they viewed us as like way too fast and way too emphatic. And we said, well, what's the problem with that? You know, we just proved them to be true. Uh, with our goals and objectives and all of our planning. And, and so you, these people, they, they didn't understand each other, and all of a sudden they could, and so people thought they're mad drunk. And, he, and Peter stands up and says, no, it can't be. It's nine in the morning, people, and there's no alcohol around. Um, let's skip down chapter 2, verse 32. God has raised Jesus to life. Peter stands up and tells him. He's exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. He's poured out, and you, you know, now you know. Skip down to verse 40 now. With many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them. Get this. He pleaded with them. Save yourselves. Save yourselves from the corrupt generation. We feel, how many of you think the, our generation today is corrupt? Oh, yeah. It's, it's nasty, isn't it? Just go driving someplace. You just People cutting you off and gesturing. It's just awful and then as they go by i say i hope they don't have a church sticker on the back you know <laughs> right they're just nasty but they would believe their generation was nasty okay save yourself from the corrupt generation verse 41 those who accepted the message that's the gospel that peter just preached those who accepted the message were baptized this fall we're gonna have a baptism if you've accepted the message of jesus your next step is to get baptized you need to do that it's the outward demonstration of the inward change of your heart and that day they baptized three thousand people the day the church was birthed it was already bigger than they could manage it was bigger than they could get their arms around it was not just the church it was a movement it was the jesus movement skip down to chapter four the priest and the captain of the temple and the garden, the Sadducees, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking. Chapter 4, verse 2 now. They were greatly disturbed. Why? Because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming Jesus. Why are they disturbed? Because they're talking about someone who loves them with an unconditional kind of love? Yeah, we don't like that. He said, and he, and he, said, and he raises the dead. End of verse 2. So what did they do? They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put him in jail to the next day. So these guys get thrown in jail for telling the good news. But many who heard the message believed, and, and, and the, now the group's grown to 5,000. We've only turned the page once, and the group has gone from, from 12 to, to, to a, a several, like to 40, to 60, to 80, 
to 3,000. Turn the page, it's 5,000 people. And it's not going well for the leaders. They're, they're spending the night in jail. In other words, you cannot stop this message. That's how important it really is. And so what do they say? They say, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. Get, get it right, people. Don't, don't say, well, we just want to be together. No, it's about Jesus. It's about salvation. There is no other name in heaven by which you can be saved. You, you, you aren't going to get there if you don't call upon him. And some people say, that is such an exclusive. I hear this all the time. He is, it is so exclusive that Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, John 14. It, that is so exclusive. And you and I say, I say, I'm glad there is a way. I don't need six. Just give me one. I'm pleading. If I don't get this, I go to hell. I'll take the way. Yeah. Yeah, if I'm sinking, in a, if I'm out at sea and I'm drowning and a boat comes by and throws me a rope, I don't say, I don't like that, that rope. I don't say, I, I, don't, I wish I had a different color rope. Do you have anything else in the boat? No, I grab the rope, right? I mean, how hard of a question is that? If you don't want the rope, sink, swim on your own, okay? But don't criticize the rope. Oh, I got splinters from the rope. Yeah, you can recover from splinters. It's hard to recover from drowning. Write that down, that's thought-provoking. <laughs> Chapter six, the trouble doesn't stop. And so you, you think, well, a church would do better if we just didn't have problems. No, actually the church did its best work when it was in trouble, okay? Chapter six, verse one, in those days the number of disciples was increasing. So it was 3,000 and 5,000, now it's even bigger. The Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews. Stop right there. We have no idea what that means. You know what that means? It means there were some that were traditional Jewish, and there were some who were more modern Jewish, more contemporary Jewish, and they, they had a little different slant on the laws, and they didn't talk to each other because they were upscale in, as opposed to down and all that. If you don't get that, then no explanation on my part is sufficient because... It, it, it's just a cultural thing. And so they say they don't get along with each other. And, and so he says they're, they're talking about each other. One gets ministered to and the other gets neglected. So he says, brothers and sisters, choose from among them seven men among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So when they pick these leaders, what are they looking for? They're looking for some guys who can care, who are full of the Holy Spirit, who have, have character, they have wisdom about them and we'll turn this responsibility over to them they become servant leaders in the church and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word so the teachers of the of the scriptures they stay on task and they let other people care for the other needs they're not gonna get off target from presenting the gospel do you get the difference here because there'll always be problems that would make you do go do something else and keep you from telling the good news Verse seven, so when they did that and they met the needs of those people with someone else taking care of them, verse seven, so the word of God spread and the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly in the midst of these internal problems. So they had problems on the outside being attacked by government officials and then inside their own crew uh, turning on them. And then you're saying the number of the disciples increased rapidly. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is not controlled. This is not planned. They can't organize this. This has just changed lives. The only, thing, the only thing we can know is this. The Holy Spirit comes, they pray, and when they're praying, they're not praying, oh, God bless me and my four, us four, no more. They're not praying that. They're praying, let's reach the world. Why? Because Jesus said we're going to be witnesses wherever we go. You get this? That's our job today, too. And so 
You punish them, you throw them in jail, you beat them up, it doesn't really matter because this gospel is unleashed. Chapter seven, turn the page. They didn't like the story of Jesus. So did they, did they stop? The, Jesus' followers did not stop. They killed one of the followers of Jesus, Stephen. Did that stop them? No, it scattered them, but it didn't stop them. What happened was this. Stephen got killed for telling the story of Jesus. And when, when he got killed, the word got out and, and believers scattered. You know what they did? They took the gospel with them. So what was supposed to squash the good news actually spread it even further. Chapter 8. There's Philip, he meets a guy from Ethiopia. This is North Africa. Now the gospel now is around the Mediterranean Sea, if you can imagine the Mediterranean Sea. It's not just in the Holy Land, what we call Israel, Palestine, Iran, Iraq. It's now Northern Africa, it's now Northern Europe, it's in Greece and headed towards Italy. And this guy's from Ethiopia, and, and he is, and when Philip meets him, the guy is in a chariot, he's reading the book of Isaiah. Okay. Now, scholars always talk about this, and he's reading the book of Isaiah, and he doesn't understand. And my question is, how did he get the book of Isaiah? How, I mean, how did this guy get the Bible, an 800-year-old scroll? How did, I mean, who, who is he? Where did he come from? And, I, I mean, this is, this is the code of Hammurabi right here in front of you. Know, like you were going, how did he get a historical document like that? And he's unpacking it, going, I think I understand some of this, but I don't get it all. And so Peter says... You know who he's talking about? He's talking about the Savior who just came. And, and he explains that to the Ethiopian. This guy, this Ethiopian guy has to be a scholar. And what does he do? He says, I, I believe that. And they pull over and he baptizes him. This is a gospel that doesn't stop, even, even by cultural lines, language lines, generational lines, even in the ancient manuscripts. It, it is going everywhere chapter 11 let's keep reading now those who had been scattered verse 19 by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia Cyprus these are other countries and islands Antioch these are major cities spreading the word only among Jews so it, this gospel is going but all around the world the known world but it's still only among God-fearing Jewish people okay that's about to change but some of them, verse 20, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks. These are people who are not of Jewish descent. So now it's not only crossing the national lines, now it's crossing some cultural lines as well and lineage lines. So it's, it's, it's these are, Greek is a non-Jewish person. And they tell them about the Lord Jesus in verse 21. The Lord's hand was on them and a great number of those people believed and turned to the Lord. This is amazing now. Now it is extremely diverse, and they don't let anything stop the good news. Turn the page to chapter 12, verse 12, uh, 24. 12, 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. It didn't, doesn't stop. You would think it began to slow down. The momentum would, take, would taper off. It does not. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, so they get done, they're on one mission trip. They went on a kind of trip to tell people about the good news and to start some churches. When they can return to Jerusalem, they grab John, who's also called Mark. So they're, they're starting another team. They're multiplying their, their strength so they could go out in greater numbers yet. Chapter 13. Now, verse 1. And now the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan 
who had been brought up in, with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Stop there, because you just read past these names, but you, you gotta get this. Barnabas is, is known, he's the brother of encouragement, but um, he is probably of mixed blood. He's probably a multiracial guy. Simeon's called Niger. Guess what country he's from? Doesn't take much to figure that one out, right? So now we know now, this is a guy with, there's a guy with Jewish background, a guy with African, North Africa, Lucius of Cyrene, that's an island, Menaean, who's brought up in Herod the Tetrarch. What's Herod? He's, now we're talking Israeli leadership and Roman leadership. You understand where the gospel goes? There's no boundary to stop the gospel. Okay, I hope you get that because the dynamic here is very subtle just because we just read these names and we don't realize how diverse, how up and down the scale, if there were such a thing as up and down, this gospel is splatting and going everywhere, literally everywhere. So while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They, they, didn't, they don't take years to do this. They just do it. You get this? And you know what they're praying over? They're praying for world evangelization. They're praying, we have to reach the world. Why? Because that's what we've been commissioned to do. Jesus told us to do this. So that's what they're praying about, chapter 17 now. And as soon as it was night, verse 10, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So they, they go to a large gathering area. It's just, you just want to get with you where you can get around a bunch of people at the same time, so you're gonna to go to a major place. Today, that would be a mall or a sport arena or some other a town hall kind of a place, okay? So they go to this Jewish synagogue, and the Berean Christians, or the Berean Jews, were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. Don't you love this when the Bible just tells the truth, but it's kind of embarrassing at times? <laughs> like, wouldn't you hate to be the Christian from Thessalonica? <laughs> yeah, we got mentioned, but it wasn't good, yeah. Yeah, the Bereans were of more noble character, okay? Paul only lasted, they think, about three weeks in Thessalonica and got kicked out of town. Did it stop him? No, he just went to Berea. And so they go to Berea, and, and they receive the message with eagerness and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So they're going back, reading the Old Testament, what they have of it, and as a result, they, they believed. And so did a, a, a prominent number of Greek women. So now it's, it's not just men who are believing. Do you get this? And in that particular culture, women believing, women in that day did not even vote. I mean, they didn't count. When they counted a head count on a hillside, they would count the guys. This, this, is, a, this is a splat. This is spreading the good news to all people, no matter who they are. And, and when Luke writes the book of Acts, he's subtly telling us what is really going on. And so... So get this, he spends some time, maybe three weeks at Thessalonica, and he gets kicked out of town. They don't want him there. So he, he just, okay, I'm out. So he goes to Berea where he's accepted. I, I tell you this, that's telling us too, these guys had a plan. I'm gonna go to Thessalonica. If it doesn't go well, I'm, I'm moving over there. Why? Well, we don't know what God's will is. We just know we gotta get the gospel out. This is where when people develop like five-year plans, we're gonna do this, we believe that, we this thing. And you know, you ever been in a company like that? And like at the end of year one, like, yeah, that five-year plan ain't gonna happen. Yeah, that was them. And they didn't know where they'd go next. And that's okay. They just knew they needed to get the message out. If you don't want it, that's okay. We'll go to another town. And the Bereans were of more noble character. They examined the scriptures. They trusted Jesus. And this is where women are actually included in this Jesus following in a significant way to be mentioned even. Okay. 
chapter 20. You've been great to hang on. Thank you for hanging on. Chapter 20, verse 19. The disciples are talking and say, I've served the Lord with great humility, with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. And you know that I've not hesitated to get that. I, I'm not stopping. I don't hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. This is why, stop right here. This is why we do large group gathering like this on weekends and small group gatherings in homes. In the large group gathering, we celebrate. In the small group gathering, you get to connect in a tighter way. You get to know the names of people, enjoy the fellowship, and pray for each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is important to do. But that that small group is where you're known and you can be known, you can be honest and, and open, and you can pray for each other and support each other. But then when you come together in the large group, you realize this, this movement of the Christian faith is larger than life. Okay? So... Okay, back to the text now. Verse 20. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything to you, but it would be helpful, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. And I've declared to you both Jews and Greeks. You see how inclusive this is? I don't care who you are. That's pretty much the whole human race. Jews and non-Jews, Greeks. That they must turn to God in repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And skip down to verse 24 now. However, I consider my life worth nothing Get that, if only I may finish the race and complete the task. Another translation says, complete my mission. That's what you've been commissioned to do. Complete the task that Christ has given me, that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to God's grace. Okay, one, two, three, everybody. You got through Acts. What's the overwhelming theme? They just took Jesus everywhere. They They just told the story wherever. And let me, let, me, let me just make some observations. I'm going to give you um, a handful of observations, and I'm going to give you a, a three-part assignment, but this is good for you just to get the bigger picture. Around here, we believe in worshiping, connecting, growing, serving, sharing, worshiping the Lord. But what you have to be aware of is this. Our desire when we worship the Lord Sometimes the worship can be about us. And when worship is about us, I love it. Francis Chan, Bible teacher, said a lady walks up to him at the end of church, goes, I didn't get much out of worship. He said, good, because it wasn't about you. Francis, my goodness. Yeah, he's no longer at that church either. So I don't know how that panned out. But it's true though, isn't it? It's not about you. But you understand how worship even can turn on itself and be about us, about what we get out of it rather than what we give to the Lord. I sing praises to the Lord. I, I, I offer to the Lord. I give my uh, gratitude, my loyalty to the Lord. That's worship. But somehow it becomes something about us. That's idolatry. Okay? The same thing can happen with connection. We're connecting to encourage people in the Lord, but then we connect because it's more about my connections in life not about connecting people to Jesus or my growth. It's, it's just, um, I can't be around people because they, they don't help me grow. And it's not their job, it's your job to grow your own self. You're, you have to be responsible for your own spiritual life. And, you know, and, and, and here's the deal. All of this, the, the, what happens is this. It, the, the normal natural tendency for everything in life is to turn it back on ourselves. That is what happens in all of history. 
It becomes about us because selfishness is what Satan uses to get you off course. He'll use problems, and the early church didn't allow the problems to to sideline them or to get them off course. So when you pray, pray to spread the good news. Don't just pray about your own concerns. Do you get that? And you have to actually calculate your prayers. Look at your prayers. What am I praying about? Is it always about me? Or is it about you? And if you wonder about that, go back to the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. That's, that's, that's worship. Your kingdom comes. So your agenda to be done. Your will to be done. Do you get that? And then give us this day our daily bread. I need, I need some help here. But you only do that after you've you said, Lord, I'm on your side and I'm loyal to you and I want your agenda to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then you can give him, okay, I have some of these requests. But when we walk right in and it's all about us and our stuff, that's just inward prayer. Bounces off the ceiling, I'm afraid. Second clarification is this, is that we're to reach everybody, not just, just know everybody. And there's, there is a penchant in that today in church in America it is an epidemic form and I, I can't worship with people I don't know and you know what the church will always be larger because the body of Christ will grow it, it was that way from day one there were 50 believers and then it went from there to 3,000 to 5,000 to thousands and then it became really messy when it was when it was every people group every tongue every tribe every cultural group it just became uh, it has to be about Jesus or it will eventually fall apart or turn on itself and it will, it will separate itself away and then lose its momentum. So the clarification is, is this. It is about everybody to reach everybody, not just to know everybody. And, and here's the other, and it's this. It doesn't have to be just a dream. It can be a reality. It's not just a dream. This can happen. And I, I know my place. I, I know these four weeks where, where I'm talking about dream again, I know my place in the body of Christ as a pastor. My, my job is like the coach. I'm to fire you up. And so you, you enjoy that. You like that. I like it too. But that's not the end game either. The end game is that we actually get the good news where it belongs in a timely way to the people who need it. Okay. So that's the way it has to be. Now, let me give you some illustrations of how it goes inward. These are historic. 250 years ago, there was a guy in England by the name of Robert Rakes, R-A-I-K-E-S. The guy was concerned because there were no child labor laws, so kids worked in sweatshops. They worked in manufacturing and in clothing shops, and they worked six days a week, oftentimes 12 hours a day, and these were hoodlum kids, and then they didn't even get their own money. The parents got the money. So they only had Sundays off. That was the only day. So then they ran the streets those days. And Robert Rakes looked at them and said, these kids are going to hell. I can't stand this. And they can't even read and write. They don't have money to go to school because these weren't rich kids. So Robert Rakes developed a school on Sunday for kids who couldn't read and write. And his textbook to teach them to read and write was the Bible. Okay? And he led the children of England to Jesus which started the revival, right, which is, and this is like, uh, this was a couple hundred years ago that he did this. And he started a, a huge movement that we call today Sunday school. But if you've been in a traditional church, do you know who goes to Sunday school now? Only the convinced kids. It doesn't reach 
people, doesn't reach children for Jesus. It's not bent to do that. It doesn't go after street kids at all. Why? It turns on itself. It's about us. A generation ago, there was a, a guy with a great vision to reach military families, and particularly guys in, uh, in World War II. His name's Dawson Trotman. Started a group called Navigators. Wonderful group. Dawson Trotman reached out and, and led a lot of people to Jesus and started the organization that reached out. And today, it, it spends more time trying to maintain, and they don't want to do that, but that's the nature of the beast. His good buddy is a guy by the name of Jack Wurtzen. Jack Wurtzen had the same vision with high school kids in the U.S. He lived in New York, and he would walk the streets in New York City and say, these kids are street kids. They don't know Jesus, and they've never been in nature. They don't know nature. So he went up the road a couple hours north outside of New York City, and they bought hundreds and hundreds of acres of land off the side of a lake. And he developed a camping program in the 1940s. And it became a wonderful outreach. He could take kids from the city and they could see and they could do stuff like swing from a tire swing and jump into the lake and they could learn to swim and get in a canoe. But every night then he would tell them about Jesus. And now that camp by and large reaches church kids who are already convinced. And then they have Bible conferences which are good Bible conferences but by and large for adults who already are committed to Jesus. You see how it turns in on itself? I do not want that to happen here. That is death. Do you get this? That is death. If it only turns in on ourselves. There is a sea in the Holy Land, and you can go there, and you know the story, and the sea takes in water, but it never gives any water back out. And because it takes in water, never gives any water back out, it takes all the deposits of the water, which includes salt. There are no fish in that sea. Do you know why? Because it's a dead sea. And a church that only takes in, it's all about me, it's a dead church. I do not want that for SBC, nor do you. So our only alternative is, everywhere we go, we become witnesses for Jesus. That is our only, our only solution. And if it is not about Jesus, then it deserves to die. Do you get this? I've been in churches that have given up on salvation by grace through faith. That church deserves to die, right? If they, they give up on believing the Bible to be true, I go, that church deserves to die. If a church doesn't believe in reaching its community, it deserves to die. It's no longer a church. It's a social club. If you have a favorite seat and it's yours or a favorite parking spot, or you have to sing a certain song. It's about you. Do you understand how idolatry, inward focus can happen so quickly, even among good people? By the way, Brandon, I love that, uh, that song, Known. It's, my gosh, that's a great song. You need to sing that every week or I'm not coming back. <laughs> you just can't, see, it's not about me. It's not about me. So how do I do this? Let me, let me give you three things. Number one, I must share with those in my world. Jesus said, Luke chapter eight, return home, this is, these are the words of Jesus, and tell how much God has done for you. Just go home and tell the story. See how simple that is? I just have to share with those in my world. Go home and tell your story. Go home to the people who do not believe on your block and just tell your story. Secondly, I have to dare to reach beyond my world. I have to reach beyond my comfort zone. It, Book of Acts is an illustration of that. They were constantly blowing out the lines that they weren't allowed to cross. 
First Corinthians chapter 9. I become all things to all men so by all possible means I could save some. It's for the sake of the gospel. I reach beyond my own comfort zone. Thirdly, I have to care about the whole world. I have to care. So therefore we go and make disciples of all people. That's why I'm really excited about the new, uh, uh, the small group connection group. There's the material, small group leaders, you just use that material for even four weeks. You can roll over to other stuff if you want, or you can use the Proverbs series. We have a great Proverbs series, we'll follow that. But, but just to turn ourselves, to make sure that we're aware of the people around us, that we, that we, even the way when we worship together, it could be an outreach. Even in the way we greet each other or handle each other, it could be a wonderful outreach. So my threefold um, assignment to you is this. Number one, tell your story and do it in a sentence, do it in a paragraph, do it in a journal. You could, you, if you want to write a page, that's fine. But you'd be able to do it in a, in a sentence because maybe that's all you have. <clears throat> and when people say, my, you, you are kind, and then for you to have one response, I am kind because... There's a God in heaven who showed kindness towards me. That's your one sentence. Get that? That may be all you get. That one sentence on the elevator. Okay. All right, so when you get done telling your story, that's important to do. And maybe some small groups, you may actually do this one, one of your nights together. Then to learn a simple presentation. Like John 3.16, Romans chapter 6. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Romans 6. Even though all have sinned, the wages of sin is death, all have sinned, come short of the glory, but the gift of God's eternal life. So I trust him, for by grace we're saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You read those three passages, maybe that's your presentation. And the remedy is Jesus, and so get, get people to Jesus. And then thirdly, it, I think there's a, a huge opportunity just to, to turn the posture to welcome people in church. It, it helps my faith, you know, you know, when I sing, but if I, I, I'm in, in church, I sing and I enjoy it, but if I've invited someone and then I see that they show up, like I've invited people and people go, oh yeah, I'll be there. And like, they don't come. They just lie to me. And I want to go back and go, you lied to me. I could send you someplace, you know, like I can't, but I could act like that. But then when they show up, you know what? I pray differently. I want it, I want people to be handled with care you want that about your own kids you have a wayward adult son or daughter and they they finally come you want them to have a great experience you want them to enjoy a great worship experience they want them to sit with someone who's not going to go oh yeah i can't really wait for this to be over oh boy yeah it, it just it changes the posture so invite someone to church and then and then when you walk through that yourself it will it will help you understand uh, how we pray and how we do what we do because here's the bottom line. What I'm talking to you about in dream again, this is not just a dream. This could be your reality. That you wake up one day when you softly fade from this life and you wake up in glory and you arrive in heaven and you, when you walk through the pearly gates and Peter says, welcome, Jesus is waiting for you, but there are some other people waiting for you too. And they say to you, thank you for telling me about Jesus. That's not just a dream. That could be your reality. Let's pray.
So that's our prayer, Lord, that we would show up in heaven with people who trust Jesus because we told them the story. And we were witnesses in our world, wherever we went. We told the wonderful message of Jesus. We pray this to the glory of Christ our Savior and the power of your spirit. Amen.